change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskewee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we got a lot to get into again this week, but we do have a couple things that we need to talk about off the top of the show. Firstly, as everyone listening now probably noticed, last week's post-game show was not posted on our podcast feed. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties at the start. There were some problems with our audio, so we, we redid the show, uh, put up a new link. Unfortunately, neither of those recorded for some reason. Um, we sincerely apologize for that. I thought it was one of our better post-game shows. We had a lot more fun on this one because it was so surprising that the team actually won. So it kind of sucks that those of you who were not able to join us will never get a chance to hear it. Um, but that's uh, we recorded on Twitter. Twitter decided not to record it. There's nothing we can really do about that. Perhaps next season, me and you, Mike, will try to figure out a different platform for doing those live shows. So hopefully we don't have to rely on Twitter, which can be unreliable at times to make sure those episodes gets recorded. So anyone out there who's looking for our post game show from this past week, unfortunately it's lost to time. So uh, mm. if you're with us live, you got to hear it. If you weren't, unfortunately no one will ever hear it again. It, it's one of those, it, it, the, the lost tapes, if you will. Right, Mike. Yeah. The, the mythical win over the, the, yeah. the mighty blue bombers that never happened because Podsky, we didn't record. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on secondly, and while this is sort of tie cats news, I, it's, it didn't really seem fitting for the news section that we do, but a group of Ticat fans have decided to make Hamilton's October 7th home game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders a Simone Lawrence appreciation night. This is really fan-driven. Uh, I know the podcast got some DMs about it. I personally got some DMs about it. Uh I, I'm a, I'm aware that that this the group of fans uh, led by some listeners of the show have uh, have gotten reaching out to the team itself and hoping hope huh, pardon, pardon me hoping that they will acknowledge this. I don't know how that will go because that October seventh home game against the Riders is the Danny McManus Wall of Honor celebration, which I wasn't entirely aware. Of. Like I I knew it, but I forgot it. I'm I think mm -hmm. you were in the same boat. Yeah. But I still love the fact that fans are, are putting stuff like this together. Like, I think this is like this is such an awesome thing. And I hope it, it gains some traction as we go over the next couple of weeks and more and more people pick up on it and doing it against the riders. I mean, that's, you know, wow, chef's kisses, right? Like of all the teams that you could. And, and that's got to have been a, a reasoning for choosing this game. Right. It, it's also potentially the game. There's There's been some rumors out there. This could be Simone Lawrence's game that he returns to the to the team which would make it even even better so what I, from my understanding and mike correct me if i know you've been dming back and forth more than i have correct me if i'm wrong uh basically wear a simone lawrence jersey bring some pro simone lawrence signs just do anything you can to show how much you appreciate what 
number 21 has done for this franchise, both on and off the field during what it's, I mean, now close to 10 years that he's been a Hamilton Tiger cat. So I think this is an awesome idea. I think it's great that fans are organizing. It's not like a team thing. Uh, you and I will continue up until that week that game happens that we're going to continue to promote this thing. I, I just think it's really cool. I hope this is something that maybe catches fire this year and can continue on every every year. You kind of do it with a different player, or you can just do Simone Lawrence Appreciation Night once a year. I just think every it'd be awesome. Year. Yeah, I think I think it's great too. I mean, the team it doesn't have to be official to make it a, a really uh, great thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is a DIY type of thing by the fans, and uh, I think that's awesome and. Simone Lawrence and I, I heard some people say you know why like a lot of people asked is he retiring I'm like no it, it, you know you don't have to appreciate someone just when they're retiring you know what I mean like we can appreciate him while he's still here and it's just a you know a little bit of a troll job on <laughs> with the riders in town and so so all the green fans can appreciate him as well so uh you know Simone's been the face of this franchise for like you said almost a decade now and uh he deserves to be appreciated I think you should do more of these things. What do you hear when like a loved one passes? Like, oh man, all the things that you're saying about them, like at a funeral, and I don't want to get this into like a morbid, you know, depressing no. state. Uh, yep. Cause over the, over the last little while, you and I have both lost loved ones close to us. But you know what I, you know what I mean? Like when you get to that, when, when someone you, you care for passes, you say all these wonderful things about them. And then it's everyone always definitely goes like, man, I wish I could have said this to him when they were alive. Like it's sort of the same thing. Like, why do we have to wait for him to be hanging up the cleats to be like, no, man, like you're one of us, like you're yep. you're a hero in this community, like what you represent represents what we want to be represented by. You know what I mean? Like there's we don't have to wait until he decides that his career is over to to give the man his flowers, just like you shouldn't wait until someone passes away to, to tell him how you feel. So I, I the fact that you're doing this with an active player, I think, makes more sense than waiting until they're long retired or stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, look, like you, you, we talked about Danny McManus going up mm-hmm. on the um, hall of or uh, wall of honor. And it's been a long time since he's been with the Ticats, right? Like this probably should have happened a long time ago. So mm-hmm. we're just making sure that something like that never happens with Simone Lawrence. And this is a guy who has been a tremendous player for the tiger cats over the years, but also has entrenched himself in Hamilton. He loves Hamilton. He really does. I feel like that's absolutely genuine when he says you know, nice things about Hamilton in the community. So, you know, it's not just an on the field thing. It's an off the field thing as well. I don't remember when we talked about this before, but I know I said it. He is this generation's Angelo Mosca. And I know that that yep. is, that's a really, you're putting him on a pedestal, but think about what he means to this community, what he's meant to this franchise, what he's meant to the fans of this franchise. I think you can easily put him up there because he's, I, I know he spent time and he spent that one season in Edmonton, but he's a tiger cat. You know what I mean? Like he, he never left. I don't think he ever will leave quite honestly. And like you said, the things he's, he's said about Hamilton, about the people here, about the community. I agree. I think it's genuine. I think he genuinely appreciates this as his second home. And that's the type of guy that, decades from now in the way that our parents talked about Angela Mosca, that's how we're going to talk to our kids or, or even, even some people younger than us, the people in their thirties, in their late twenties, when they tell their families about the greats of their era, he's the first name that's going to come up. He's in that. If you were to do, in my opinion, a Mount Rushmore of Hamilton Tiger Cats, 
I think he's done more than enough. He's a great cup away from being considered one of the greatest players in franchise history, regardless. But even without that, I think if you're if you're making a Mount Rushmore of Tiger Cats players, I, I think he's on there now. I think he's he's done enough with this team. He's he's become so synonymous with these colors and with that logo and with this community. I think he's on there. I think he's definitely in the discussion. Um, you know, I'd have to put a little bit more thought into it if I'd actually put him up there. Because what is it? Four or five on Mount Rushmore. It's four. It's four faces okay, on Mount four. Rushmore. Which may, may, might make me look stupid to the audience that I asked that question. But <laughs> It doesn't because okay. most people think it's five. I don't okay. know why, but a lot of people think it's five. Just like people think there's 52 states and there's only right. 50, which is, I always thought was weird too. It's like 50 is such a round number. Why would you think that there's more? Like Anyway, that's not – I actually heard that too at one point. I thought like Alaska and some other state were Alaska, Alaska 51 and 52. Were, were 49 and 50. Okay, there you go. All right, I'm glad that, you know, we cleared that up for everybody. We can educate. All right, we want to move – let's move on to talking about some actual Ticats news. First thing up, unfortunately, Mike, is, is some is some bad news. Dylan Wynn will not play this Friday against Montreal. He has been perhaps the team's best and definitely their most consistent defensive player this year. So I think losing him for a big game like this one coming up in Montreal on Friday is is a big loss. Ted Laurent will likely see a larger role on defense. And I would suspect that Lee Autry, who is currently on the practice squad, would likely join the active roster to take Wynn's spot. Like I said, this is a big loss. It's not one that I think cripples their chances of winning on Friday, however. But how do you feel about this? Hearing this news that Wynn won't play on Friday, Mike. Well, it sucks. It does suck. Uh, you know, Wynn is a guy that leads by example. His intensity is unmatched by by any player I've ever seen in my life. So it's going to be a loss. But, you know, with we got Micah Johnson and we got Ted Laron. The, you know, Ted Laron can slide into Wynn's spot. I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. Um, so he he's a veteran and he's been a great player for many years. So I think we'll be okay without Wynn. Obviously, we'd be better with Wynn in the lineup, but... I think we have the depth uh, to be okay along that defensive line. Yeah, and I think I don't think Montreal has a great offensive line. Running against the Ticats is next to impossible. We've seen that all season in good games and bad. They haven't really given up a ton in the rushing game. Not like Trevor Harris is going to beat you with his feet a ton. He might break contain and and scramble a few times, but you're not. He's not. You know. Vernon Adams out there, you know what I mean? Like right, you're not, right. you're not going to, you don't have to account for him in the run He's game. not like Taylor Cornelius running around. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, yeah. you don't have to account for him in the run game. And so mm-hmm. I think the, the, the interior defensive line is more, I think, geared towards stopping the run. We know how good the Ticats have been like that over the past half dozen years, honestly. Like they, they, I don't think there's a time I can remember where they were bad against the run is what I'm saying. And then you, you're, you're not replacing him. Like, even if Lee Autry is the one who ultimately starts, and I think that that's a possibility, we've seen him play decent ball. Like, I, I, the drop-off is significant, don't get me wrong, because Dylan Wynn is, like, he's in the conversation as one of the best defensive linemen in the league, easily one of the best defensive tackles. So, like, there is still a steep drop-off. But I think with the way Montreal plays and with the other pieces on this defense, I don't think this is necessarily that will point to this and go, man, they gashed him for 160 yards up the middle because Dylan Wynn was missing, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you mentioned Trevor Harris, too, and you talked about it earlier in the season that you think that uh, the Tigers have trouble with opposing quarterbacks that can run the ball, right? Yeah. So um, they're not going to be able to run it with their running backs, and Trevor Harris isn't going to be running around like like Vern Adams or a Doug Flutie. So uh, I think we're pretty good in that regard. All we have to do is, you know, and we'll get into this more, I guess, in the game preview, but 
it looks like we're going to just have to worry about the passing game. Yeah, if if William Stanback was back, I'd be a little more concerned, but he's mm-hmm. not going to he's still out injured after that injury suffering in week 1. So, yeah, we'll get more in depth into what we expect or what we worry about with this game coming up in a little later. The other bit of Ticats news that we have is they <laughs> made some moves along the offensive line. They signed an American offensive lineman by the name of Brandon Kemp. And they released former starting left tackle Travis Vornkall. Vornkall was replaced in the starting lineup for last week's game against Winnipeg with Tyrone Riley, a fellow American, taking his spot. We discussed this on the postgame show, so we can bring it up here a little bit. I thought that we both thought the offensive line performed really well against Winnipeg's pass rush. They completely nullified guys like Willie Jefferson. Jackson Jeffcoat, if you go look at the stats, did not even register. His name is literally on the stat sheet one time, and it's listing him as actually playing in the game. Did not record a tackle, did not record any sort of statistic. So that tells you how well that offensive line played when they can hold those guys to next to nothing. And I think seeing how well Riley played out there, going against Jefferson, going against Jeffcoat in a game like that, probably made it easier for the team to release a guy like Vaughn Call, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, depth chart right now, and you know, the left tackle position was played by Riley, like you said, and it was he played. He did a great job. He did a great job, and I'm looking at you know the backup behind him is Saxlid, mm-hmm. you know, Riley Saxlid, and then um, Van Zyl when he comes back. I mean, that left tackle position. Oh wait, no, no, Van Zyl was on would, the right side, and Van Zyl go right, and then, and then Kelly would jump back over. Yeah, to the so left. so switch it. So Kelly. Riley Saxlin. I mean, that's a lot of depth mm-hmm. at that left tackle position, even though Riley's, you know, fairly young, but he played against, you know, some of the best defensive ends in the league. So uh, I have confidence in him. I have confidence in Saxlid and I have confidence in the rest of this offensive line. So this signing, um, bringing in a guy along the offensive line camp is, is a, is a signing for next year, right? It's, it's, oh, absolutely. it's obviously he's not going to be sliding into the, the starting lineup. So, I'm always happy when they're bringing an offensive lineman. So the more, the better. He uh, spent some time with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, he played at uh, Valdosta State University from 2015 to 19. Um, won a national championship in Division II in 2018. It doesn't say what position he played in college or, or, or pros, but you know that would be a nice addition to this press release, but it doesn't have it up here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just a future signing and, um, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. Like there's not much to say about this. I only brought up the sign, like because it's new. So I figured we have to talk about it, but also the reaction to the story from Ryder fans really took me by surprise. I, I, we get tagged in a lot of the three down posts, um, whenever Ticat news come out, we, and it's great. It's, it's great for engagement. It also allows us to interact with other people that may not know about us, which is fantastic. Maybe a few new people find the show or, or what have you. But I lost count of the number of people in, in the Podsky mentions complaining about the Riders not making any moves along the offensive line based on this signing by the Ticats. Because like, I don't understand why Ryder fans feel like something like this is – like there's no shot – like you said, he's not going to start. Like there's there's no shot that Kemp is going to become a valuable player for the team this year. This is signing an unknown American with no CFL experience. It's not going to bolster bolster the offensive line play at this point in the season, whether the Ticats got him or whether the Riders got him, you know what I mean? Like this is, yeah. you said, this is, a, this is a move for the future. I would get these Ryder fans getting all up in arms because their offensive line has been really bad this year. If this was the Ticats signing a CFL veteran, if they went and got like a Justin Renfro or, you know what I mean? Like a move like that. But 
are Ryder fans this desperate for help that they think someone bringing in a raw rookie who's never stepped foot in the, on a CFL field would fix their offensive line issues? Because if that's the case, then they're in a lot more trouble than I think even they think they are, no? Uh, yeah, I, I just think Ryder fans are just in full-blown panic, panic mode. mode after that Elks loss at home. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the statistics right now. They, they've they given up 59 sacks this year. The, mm-hmm. the Edmonton is the, the second worst, and they have given up 44. So they're 15 more sacks than the next closest team. Atrocious. Just yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. What, what, what like, are they? Are they are they six and eight right now? I believe so, yes. They started four and one. Yeah. Do the math on that. Like it, it's been it's been three months of terrible football from the Riders. I think they've lost six of seven or something like that. I'm not sure, but it's been really bad. And I don't know. I'd feel I'd feel the same. I wouldn't be like if we traded for Derek Dennis or something. Like I mm-hmm. could see them being upset. Yep. But this this guy's just he's not going to fix your season, Rider fans. And I don't know if anything can. And if if I were a fan of that team, you know, I'm not huge. I'm not uh, overly confident in Cody Fajardo, but with an offensive line like that, I mean, you just, how can you blame the guy? I mean, he's just been uh, rushed this whole season. It's been bad. And, and you know, he hasn't played great either. You know, even when he's had protection, he hasn't been great. But 59 sacks given up, that's just terrible. Yeah, it's funny because I think back to, like, the heyday of, like, the Ticats with Danny McManus. And there were years where they'd give up, like, a dozen sacks on in the season. You know what I mean? And I've noticed sack in totals and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have to do some research in this, but it feels like sack totals are higher. Like guys used to get the ball out quicker. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cause I, that, that was the big thing with Danny Mack is that it was like, he had such a quick release that you couldn't get to him in time because he was so immobile that he had to get the ball. Because if he stood there, he's going to get nailed. And he didn't like, no, no quarterback likes to get it, but he especially, maybe that's why it. he threw so many interceptions. Right? Oh, I think he so. just easily. He, he has to get it out the ball out or he's, yeah. Yeah. That's part but of yeah, it, probably. It, there's, uh, we're going to talk about the writers in a second because we're going to move on here to talking about predicting the rest of the season. And I, this is despite you saying on Twitter that you weren't going to do this because the team is too predictable. But it's funny because you said that we had talked about what we were going to do on the show today. And it was an idea I had a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, this could be because there wasn't a ton of, there's not a ton of news. Like we discussed all the Ticats news there has been since the game in Winnipeg. So there's not a ton of news. So I was like, well, what can we do to like create content? And I was like, oh, we can do a fun little thing where we predict the remainder of the season. Because that's always fun for whether engagement or just you and I, how how do we feel like this is going to go? And then you were like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I was like, well, you better because that's what we're doing tonight. So honestly, Mike, though, if Hamilton had lost on Saturday, we would not be doing this. Because oh, no. I don't think them winning on Saturday changed the perception of this team. And we're kind of feeling... the way they won too, right? Like the way that they performed against the best team it just yeah. it changes things it does it does even if even if this is that's the height of what we see this season and it is all downhill from here you know what i mean that that gave you that glimmer of hope for the rest of the like the last five games of this season and and let's be honest they 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 took them apart they demolished the the, the, the bombers on saturday so we're feeling ourselves a little bit and i think we're all feeling kind of i think ticat fans because look ticat fans are fickle and I understand it. We're we're amongst them. There's this, like, when things are going bad, everyone kind of abandons ship. But when things are going, the minute something goes well, everyone's back on the bandwagon. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and yeah. we're two weeks ago, we were saying this team, 
this team's Done. dead in the water. And now Over. we're now we're let's predict the rest of the schedule and see if this team can make the playoffs. So it's just it's the nature of sports though, right? Like a loss on sat last Saturday would have been okay, this is what we expected. But a win and now we're like, all right, well let's hmm. dig into the schedule and see what we got here, right? Yeah, I mean the, that the, that win rejuvenated my hope. Absolutely, there's no question about it. I had completely given up on this team for this season, and rightfully so. I think I, they played terribly um, at least the you know last three or four or five weeks, and basically the whole season. So, um, but for you know this offense to click that way it did last last week, five touchdown passes by Dane against the best you know the best defense we've seen in, in a long time in the CFL is damn impressive and these last five games be yeah, it there's a couple tough ones in there maybe but they are all lesser opponents than winnipeg well and that's just it it's, it's because of who they did it to and how they did it right like i didn't see that performance i don't think anyone even the most staunch hardcore never give up believer in the ticats didn't see that performance coming so it it should give us a little pep in our step and if if we if it ends up being like i said the, the highest peak this team reaches this year, so be it. But it gives us a little, at least a little bit of positive momentum going into these last five games. So speaking of, those last five games are, so everyone's aware, they're at Montreal this week, then they're at Calgary, home to Saskatchewan, home to Ottawa, at Ottawa. Four of those five games are against teams they are battling for a playoff spot. So the Ticats currently are 4-9 and nine. with those five games. Mike, where do you see this team ending up? both record-wise and standing-wise, and most importantly, do they make the playoffs? I've been thinking about this question all day since, you know, you said that. Since I called you up publicly online. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've swung many times. I've thought about going negative. I've thought about going positive. I'm going positive. Okay. All right. Five games left. Screw it. You know what I mean? We're going four and one. I think that well, the only loss will be against Calgary in of Calgary, course. of course. And uh, the rest because will the be Ticats wins. could be undefeated going into that game, and the Stamps could be winless, and I would still pick Calgary to win. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. You know, I know why because they've been a very strong team. Yeah. Over the seems like the last twenty years, but yeah, it's just we have a tough time going in there and winning. So, um, I would be shocked if we won that game, but. Four and one puts us to seven eleven, and you know they're no four and one gets you to eight and ten. Mm, they're yes, four and nine right now. Ten buddy. mathematics, eight and ten. <laughs> so I mean that's probably gonna get us in the playoffs. Uh, I I I'd love to see them go five and zero oh and get to that nine and nine prediction that I I threw out there at the beginning of the season. But I think they'll finish eight and ten, and uh, we'll just go from there. So eight and ten, do you, is that good enough to make the playoffs? Do you think in the East? So Montreal's a game ahead of us. They're at 500 right now. Okay. Do you want me to? Do you want me to go through mine then? Because I am because I'm always a little bit extra when it comes to stuff like this. I looked not only at Hamilton's remaining schedule, but Ottawa's, Saskatchewan's, and Montreal's, and decided mm-hmm. to predict all of them. I know technically they can still catch the Argos for first, but I didn't bother with the Argos because I feel pretty comfortable saying they won't. So if you want, I can go through what I think is going to happen, and you can kind of critique that, and we can go back and forth on some of the the outcomes there if you'd like. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Okay, so I'm I'm erring on the side of positivity when it comes to the Ticats, but I'm not as positive as you are. I have them going three and two over these games. I have them beating Montreal this week, losing to Calgary because they always lose to McMahon. I got them beating the Riders in Hamilton, beating the Red Blacks in Hamilton, and then 
because I, I just don't, I know Ottawa's terrible at home, but I, I just feel at some point this year, they're going to win a home game. I had the Ticats losing to Ottawa in the final game of this year to finish 7-11. So then it's like, okay, what will 7-11 get you? Will that be good enough to finish uh, ahead of Ottawa? So then I looked at the Red Black schedule. I got them losing to Toronto this week, then losing to BC and BC. I got them beating Montreal and Montreal, losing to Montreal and Ottawa, and then they split their final two with Hamilton that I already suggested. That's got them finishing, the Red Blacks, that is, at 5-13. and 13, They're out of the playoffs, so the Ticats finish at least third. So then, since I have the Ticats finishing no, no worse than third in the East, I decided they're still in the hunt, obviously. Let's look at the Riders, because that's the one thing where it's like, okay, what if, if the Riders go 8-10, and 10, then 7-11, we got to get them into second place. So I looked at the Riders' schedule, and it's tough, man. They have Winnipeg, Hamilton, and a pair against the Stamps. Mm. I got them going one and three in that stretch. I have them losing to the Bombers, losing to the Tabbies. They beat Calgary in Regina and then lose to Calgary in the season finale to finish 7-11, meaning no crossover this year, which how catastrophic would that be for the Riders not to make the playoffs in the year that they host the Grey Cup? Like, everyone was thinking this would be a repeat of 2013. And and again, maybe I'm looking at this through a tie cat. So like that game between Hamilton and, and Saskatchewan is going to be a big one when it comes to this crossover spot. But there, it's entirely possible the Riders don't win another game this season, quite frankly, because of who they have coming to the schedule. The reason I have them kind of splitting with the Stamps is because I don't know if Calgary's still going to be in the hunt to move up. You know what I mean? And I just yes. felt more comfortable giving the Riders a win at home versus giving them a win in McMahon, if that makes sense. So... Based on that, I got the Ticats in the playoffs at worst at third. So then it was like, what do the Owls do? Can they get to second? And unfortunately, I don't have Montreal or I don't have Hamilton Finney ahead of Montreal. I got them losing to Hamilton this week, but they beat Edmonton. They lose to Ottawa. They beat Ottawa. And then they split their season series finale with the Argos, losing in Toronto, winning at home, which means Montreal finished eight and 10 and finished one game ahead of the Tabby. So in summary, Mike, I have Hamilton finishing seven and 11 in third place in the East and making the playoffs where they'll go to the East final in Montreal. So there you have it. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that the riders um, schedule down the stretch was so difficult, but it does make sense since they're in the West, right? It does make sense. Um, but yeah, I can see it like 2013 was a fairy tale, fairy tale for the riders. And that just doesn't happen very often. So I'm not going to shed any tears if they don't make the playoffs. You know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. I think I think we because that was the third of three straight years where a home team won the Grey Cup. BC won in 2011, Argos right. in 2012. I think everyone got this idea that oh, this just means the home team is going to do everything they can to win the Grey Cup. And I don't necessarily I, like. I think every team every year does what they can to win the Grey Cup. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the idea that some teams aren't trying to win the championship in a, in a league this small, I think is a, a silly a silly thing to think. But I think we saw that run there. And people thought that it would be so easy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's going to be here. We're going to load up and try to win. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But since then, we've seen, I think Hamilton's the only team to even play in a Grey Cup in their home stadium. 2014 was in BC, and it was Hamilton and Calgary. 2015 was Winnipeg, and that was Edmonton from the West. 16 was Toronto, and that was Ottawa. 17 was Ottawa, and that was Toronto. Uh, 18 was in Edmonton, Calgary was yep. there. 19 was Calgary, and Winnipeg was there. And then last year, there wasn't 20. Yeah, so since 2013, Hamilton's the only one that's made it to their home stadium, Grey Cup. And it's not like that Ticats team was a tremendous, they were 8-6, and six. they 
had their ups and downs throughout the year. They just got hot in that in the second half of the East final and got themselves to the final. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think people think, I, I think that run there because it was so, it was almost like, Oh, BC was the best team. And then we got to remember that Argos team that got to the, the great cup that year was a 99 team. They weren't very good. And then of course there was the riders who also weren't a dominant team that year. They were actually better than the year after before Durant got hurt. They were like 10 and two or something when Durant went down and that, just completely scuttled their season. But I think people saw that and they just assumed that, Oh, the great cup's going to be here. We're going to do everything we can to get there. And as, like I said, as much as I think teams do do that, I think it gave hometown fan bases a, a little bit of a uh, false hope that it's almost a guarantee because now, like I said, aside from Hamilton, 2021, we went through it. We haven't seen it since 2013. So I don't know. I, I thought at the beginning of the year that that was what was going to happen. My prediction was the riders to win the championship. But if you watch how this season has progressed, Cody Fajardo has looked like he, he middle of the pack at best quarterback. And we've mm-hmm. discussed the offensive line and that defense hasn't stepped up like you've liked. And there are, there's been obviously systemic issues with, with player discipline, whether it's things yep. like suspensions or fines or just penalties in general, they're the most penalized team in the league this year. The riders, they, they don't. And with this schedule, they're a mess. Up, they're a mess. They are, they are a mess. Now I, what about like, I know we're, we don't want to make this into a writer's thing, but like, there's a lot of people saying like they got a clean house at the end of the year. Who are they? Go- who are they going to go get? That's a tough one. I just think that, you know, a lot of stuff has happened in Saskatchewan this year. The Garrett Marino bullcrap, and yeah, you know, Craig Dickinson like losing. I think he's lost the locker room, but yeah, you know, I'm not in the locker room, so that's just an assumption. But you know, he's saying. Well, you you uh, must you must have seen the the Instagram thing where yes, yep. He was quoted as saying something, and then what was it? Nick Marshall, I think, came out and said like, "That's not what he's saying to our faces." And like, mm-hmm. who knows it's if not that's good. A, no, it's not good. It's not because the thing is like when you see dissension like that, it usually doesn't lead to winning football. And yeah, writers have to start winning, or else they're going to be on the outside looking in when this thing's all said and done in November. I just don't see how they can put together a string of wins with that offensive line and just the mm-hmm. way that this team, you know. It just seems like they're very dysfunctional, yeah. uh, and I just I just don't see them making the playoffs. I think they're gonna their downward trajectory has started a couple of weeks ago, and it's just gonna continue. Yeah, it's funny because I know a lot of people were because I've been asked. I go on the Bill Kelly show every Friday to talk Ty Cat stuff, and obviously I'm I'm around the city and around the team frequently enough to kind of get a feel for. It. I'm not like I'm not in the locker room or anything. Don't get me wrong, but. You see stuff, right? And the one thing I never saw with the with this team was like the blame game or this dissension. Like we saw we saw that that presser with Orlando Steinhauer where he kind of lost his cool at the end there. Uh, the team, I think the team deleted the video actually. Uh, I know they deleted the tweet, but there was there was some testiness there. But for the most part, this has been a pretty like and and Hamilton has the Ticats. This roster has every reason to be you know fracturing at the seams, right? Like I never really saw it. But it seems as if that's happening in Regina and with these two teams essentially battling for what will be the sixth and final playoff spot, it kind of bodes well for Hamilton that this team has stayed together. And the Riders haven't got that. I think if the Riders would have won on Labor Day, I think they maybe could have turned this around. You know what I mean? But I think Mm -hmm. losing that and then getting just getting their teeth kicked in in the Banjo Bowl, it certainly feels like these guys are just not on the same page. And they might like I got them going one and three. It's entirely possible they go own four in this stretch and just completely bottom out. And then heck, maybe even the the Elks catch them and the Riders finish in dead last. And if that happens, imagine? if that if that happens, I think as much as I don't think they should clean house, 
if they finish in fifth in the West and they're the last, they're 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 gutting that entire thing. Yeah, I think so. I think the you know the pressure from the fan base is just more than what any fan base has in the CFL, and I think that because of that, um, there's going to be changes in the offseason unless they magically turn it around and go on a playoff run. But yeah, I just don't see it happen. I think. Gr- Probably Craig Dickinson is gone after this year, just because not necessarily just because of the play on the field, but how he can't control this team and make them more disciplined. And don't you feel like Fajardo's just not the right quarterback for that market? Like he was talking about how the boos were getting to him, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know what's funny is I've heard a lot of people talk about like Dane, like and Dane Evans talked about his mental his mental health and and going to a sports psychologist and dealing with the trials and tribulations of a rough season. I've never heard him come out publicly and say like, man, when the fans get on me, it, it hurts my feelings or no. I don't like to deal with it. Fajardo just seems like someone who doesn't have for, to, if he was the quarterback in Toronto, I think that would be perfect for him because he'd be anonymous being the quarterback in that market. I think is it's, he's not built for it. And I didn't, no. th- I, th- I thought that three years ago when he was the West nominee for MOP, I thought it last year when he guided them to the second seed in, in the West division. And I thought of heading into it. Like he, I've never, I think he's a good player in the same way that I think McLeod Bethel Thompson is a good player. I just don't think that he's this face of the franchise. You know what I mean? Like that type of player, especially in a town like Regina. Yeah. I think that he's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He doesn't have tremendous arm strength and not that you need that to be a really good quarterback, but he just seems to blame everyone else but himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this week it was the fans, and oh, they, oh how, how dare they boo me? But, like, fans have the right to boo their team. Like, I know that people frown upon that, but as long as it's not going overboard and, like, you know, saying some heinous shit to, to the players, like, if you're just booing them, they have the right to do that. They paid for their ticket. They can boo if they're if they're not impressed with what they see on the field. And you know, he 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 said something about the fans, and you know, the whole world's against us. And and he did the same thing with the receivers last. I think a couple of years ago or last year, there was you saying that you know the, the receivers were, aren't were, catching the 50-50 balls yep. or something like that. Yep. They so he just seems like a guy that throws people under the bus and doesn't take responsibility for when it goes wrong and when it's his fault. And I think Dane is the complete opposite. Complete. I think, I, you know what? I, I was just going to say that the guy that is the complete opposite of that is Dane. Every single time this team has faltered, he's gone in front of the media and said, it's my fault. Whether it's his yeah. fault or not, he said it's his fault. That's right, a different, I, that's a different mentality that, and that's, that's the type of, as much as we have our, our question. And I still do have some questions about, about Dane, whether he can be that elite level, you know, bow in his prime Caleros right now type player. But what he definitely isn't is, and I, there's probably a better words to use. He's not mentally soft. He takes the blame himself. In fact, sometimes he takes too much of the burden on himself. This yeah, team suffered yeah. because he put too much on his own shoulders. Complete polar opposite from what we get out of Fajardo and Regina. Yeah, and I, I, I don't like to call people mentally soft. Like I agree. I don't know. I just, I just don't really like the optics of it um, because people have mental issues, and, and mm-hmm. that's just not you know a nice thing to say. But um, I couldn't I think, totally I couldn't think of a better t- turn of phrase to use. No, 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 I'm not throwing any shit at you, Josh. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I think Dane is a, is a strong, mentally strong individual and just needed some, some guidance and it's, and it's helped him tremendously. And I, I, uh, you know, thumbs up to him for discussing that in a public forum, because I know that it's tough, even in this day and age where 
Um, mental health is way more open than it used to be for a, you know, a tough guy, football player to open yep. up like that. I think he's great. And if that's something for Jardo needs and he should go get it. Like there's nothing like I, this idea, the days of rub dirt on it, deal with it, suck it up. Those are, those are gone. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Rightly so. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you need help, go get help. And if this, if he's not in the right mental space to be the leader of that team, then he needs to go find someone to help him out with that. You know what I mean? Like, yep. cause like you said, I like, I like, again, I'm not defending what I said, but I couldn't, I, you know, we, we don't write a script for this. I couldn't come up with the right words. I don't, again, I don't think he's mentally soft. I guess don't think he has the right temperament to be the starting quarterback in Regina. Cause I'm with yeah, you. I don't I like agree. casting aspersions on people because maybe he is dealing with some stuff that we don't know about. You know what I mean? Like he just mm-hmm. had a kid and like we saw Dane, maybe those things like you're, you're now a father. You have to provide for a family. You're, your your sleepless nights are there. Yeah, like, the, I, like the pressure mounts because yeah. you have young children now, and yeah. you know you're providing for them. And yeah, I I, t- I get that. I get that. And and these careers can be taken away in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's not you like it's not like you or I at our jobs. Um, you know, it's just like we we're more protected. Like yeah. <laughs> compared to football players, they can just be released at any time. Um, you know, pretty much no matter their reason. Like if the coach doesn't want you here. You're gone. So yeah. there's a, a lot of lot of pressure being a uh, professional athlete. And I think there's a genuine possibility that Fajardo is not the starting quarterback for the Riders next year. Like yeah. I think, I I think it was the last time we recorded we had this kind of quick discussion on uh, on the, what uh, starting quarterbacks are going to be available because it was all about like obviously it was pre beating Winnipeg, but it's like should the Ticats move on from Dane was essentially something I think we discussed and. There's going to be options out there, and think say what you want about him physically. Bo Levi Mitchell is probably temperamentally the right quarterback for the Riders. I think, I know you 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 know he does he does tend to make things not his fault, but I don't think I've ever really heard him in the media blame other people. It's more like on the field when he misses a throw, he yeah, looks yeah. like he's blaming the receiver. But I don't ever hear him like. Now he hasn't heard a lot of booze in his time, but like he's dealing with maybe the most adversity he's dealt with since coming to the CFL being bench middle of the season. He's not the starting quarterback in Calgary any longer. It's likely he's going to be available to somebody. Vernon Adams is going to be available. You know what? Like depending on what Ottawa does or Montreal, like there's going to be some quarterbacks that can hit the open market that might be better suited to lead the riders than Fajardo has shown to be. Cause he, he looked people, people thought he looked great in 2019 when he was just mm. the only guy that stayed healthy. So his numbers looked better than everybody else's because he played 17 games and he wasn't bad. I just think that he was propped up because of all the injuries. I think he's shown that he's a, he's a middle of the road quarterback. We now have three seasons worth of him starting. Essentially he's, he's shown that he's, you know, he's in that six to eight. Like I don't think he's the worst quarterback in the league and he's clearly not the best, but he's in that, you know, gooey middle of like five to eight, you know, as a starting quarterback. And I, I don't think that that's an unfair sort of ranking for him where he stands on the current, like quarterback pecking order. No, no And you know, the offensive line hasn't helped him, but you can just Absolutely tell not. by the, by like, I don't know. I agree with you. I think he's, he was overrated in that 2019 season. The riders went crazy and, you know, anointed him the next great one. But uh, that uh, I think they overreacted to that. And now we're seeing, who he really is. He's okay. He's yep. not great. He's not terrible. He's okay. Not someone you should be giving $400,000 a year to quarterback your team. That's 
he's he's a journeyman who just happened to find a home and, and catch lightning in a bottle for a season. But that was supposed to be about the tie catch chances of making the playoffs. So to get back to that before we move on to actual CFL news, what are you saying? Are you saying you think they're going to go eight and ten? I think they're going to go seven eleven. At seven and eleven, I have them in the playoffs. Do you have them in the playoffs at eight and ten? Yeah, I do. I think that. Do you think that's enough either. to get them second place? I mean, if 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 you have them going four and one, and let's say mm-hmm. yours plays out, and let's say you completely agree with my opinion on the Owls, that they're going to finish eight and ten. This game on Friday, if the Cats win and they Massive. both finish eight and ten, there's your second place finish. Yep, because we're one and one in the season series. Yep. And if we win this one, then yeah, we'll have. Uh, and you know, I don't know. Like I'm looking at this. I know you went through it already, but mm-hmm. the Elks like. If they play like they did against Saskatchewan, they might be able to beat Montreal. Um, the Red Blacks, you know, isn't that is that game in Montreal there. or is it in Edmonton? It's in Edmonton, Ed- isn't it? Edmonton. I think that's yeah. why I had Montreal winning because until I see Edmonton win at home, I'm not win really at home. Yeah, that's a good point. Predicting them to win at home. Yeah. No, I think the Elks. I think the Elks could play spoiler against Montreal, which would be a, a big help, a big help to us. So uh, who knows? I again, chances are I did not get all of these right. So who knows what's going to happen? But at least we're now talking. We're in. We're into late September here. I thought we were going to be talking about next season after Labor Day. Yep. Three weeks later, we're we're still talking about this season. So that that and win- it just makes the CFL as a whole more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, even out west, you know, the way that uh, Vernon Adams performed for BC last week, you know, not great, but enough to get them the win. Now, mm-hmm. now BC might be actually a contender again in the West. So you have BC, Winnipeg, Calgary, who are all legitimate, you know, contenders for a Grey cup. And then you go to the East and Hamilton's back in it. So it's, it's much more interesting to me now than it was last week or the week before. Well, and now you've seen someone beat the brakes off the bombers. Mm-hmm. We, hadn't, we, hadn't, we, had, we hadn't seen that since 2019. Like they did not, they lost three games in, in 2021 Two of them they had were the last two of the season where they had already clinched first in the West and weren't really playing anyone. And the other one, I think, was like a three- or six-point loss to the Argos early in the season. We saw the Bombers lose early this year, but it was, what, a last-second field goal? They, I think the Owls kicked a field goal, and then the Bombers missed it. And so it was a close win. This was the most we've seen the Bombers dominated since Caleros took over. Like, they hadn't allowed a team to score. I think I think the most they'd allowed in the game this year was 28. The Ticats had 34 at halftime. Like this kind of opens up to maybe people going, okay, let's look at what the Ticats game plan was. How did they attack this Winnipeg defense? What did they do to stop this Winnipeg offense? And then we can sort of see that replicated because we've seen teams start hot. The Calgary Stampeders are a classic example of this. Get out to like an 11 and one record. And then finish the year, you know, 14 and four. And then they get into the Grey Cup against an inferior opponent and get beat. We saw it back to back years with the Stamps. They nearly blew, uh, they were 14 and four and they nearly blew the Grey Cup to the nine and nine Tie Cats. They lost to an eight win Red Blacks. They lost to a nine win Argos. Like, I know everyone is already ready to crown the Bombers as champs, but now that we've seen, we've seen their vulnerabilities, other teams, good teams are, are going to be able to exploit that. And you're telling me that a healthy Nathan Rourke, if he's able to come back this year, or even Vernon Adams, can't shred this, do what Dane Evans did? with with, And this is no offense to the Ticats, but those two teams have better weapons. Like, the, the Lions have better right. weapons. But like, do Lucky they have White a better offensive Brian line? Burner, Dominique Grimes. They have running, like, I don't know. I, I think this, this loss by Winnipeg, as much as it also helps Hamilton, I think it helps the rest of the league in going, okay, these guys are not invulnerable. 
they can be got and they can be got big time. So I think it makes for a much interesting end of this year. I think if, if this, if this would have been another Winnipeg win and they end up finishing the season like 15 and three and no one came close to them, I think it's, it's a little boring. This, this game last Saturday, I think opens the door for other teams to go, let's see what they did. Let's copy it. We can get these guys too. You know what they did, Josh? They had a, a, a competent offensive line that slowed mm-hmm. down Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. And I was yep. reading the Three Down Nations uh, Insider yep. uh, article today, and they were saying like the Winnipeg defensive line is tremendous, but the secondary isn't as great as it used to be in the past couple of years. So if you can, you know, take away that defensive line, then you can pick apart their defense, and that's very hard to do with talented guys like Jefferson and Jeffcoat, obviously, but. I said at the start of the season, we need to build a team that can beat Winnipeg. We have the offensive line that can block Winnipeg now. So, you know, anything's possible. Well, and that's just it too. Like in in the one game elimination format that is professional sports and professional football, that I mean, you just gotta get them once. You don't have to you don't have to beat them four to seven or three to five. It's just one time. And I think some of these teams will see what Hamilton did and look at that and go, Okay, let's uh Let's kind of copy that blueprint and see if we can do the same thing. Because I think there are some – I don't think Hamilton has the best offensive line in the CFL. So no. there are other teams out there, I think, with better offensive lines that Winnipeg might face come playoff time. So definitely makes things more interesting. But I think we spent enough time on this. So let's move on to actual CFL news. There's really only one big news item of the week, and that would be the fight that broke out after the game between the Calgary Stampeders and BC Lions following BC's incredible 31-29 overtime win. What we know is that allegedly Lions receiver Lucky Whitehead made some disparaging comments about Stamps linebacker Cameron Judge's family during the game and that following the game, Judge straight up went up to Lucky Whitehead and punched him in the face. Lions linebacker Bolo Combo said it was a sucker punch and Judge was subsequently suspended one game for the incident and that means he will miss this weekend's game, which ironically is a rematch of last week's game between these two teams. Whitehead later said that he is not apologizing. This is a direct quote. I'm quote unquote, not apologizing for my trash talk. That's football. It's normal trash talk. I said it and I told it to him in the first game too. If people are throwing out yo mama jokes, is that okay? We do it. We're grown men. Suck it up. Mike, what do you make about this entire incident? Well, obviously, you know, physically assaulting someone is never the answer. Um, you know, trying to humanize this, you know, if someone says some heinous crap to you about your family, you know, it's easy to say you, you'd uh, you wouldn't do anything about it or you wouldn't, you know, turn to physical. But, you know, if someone says something about my mother or, you know, any person that I'm really close with, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I punch them in the face or what I do. I'd probably not do that. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, things happen. Obviously, it was wrong. Um, you can never do that. And. He, he got him pretty good. Like, I didn't see the actual punch, but I saw the aftermath of him wobbling around. Lucky Whitehead, that, that is. It's just an ugly incident, and uh, it should never come to that. And obviously, there was more stuff in the parking lot afterwards, which is yeah. even, even worse. Um, no, no physical uh, no physical stuff, but, you know, there's a confrontation yelling, and I think the, the cops were there, luckily, to break it up. But, yeah, it's just, it's just an ugly incident, and you never – like, we want to see – Teams hate each other. Obviously, I, I love that. I love that stuff. I love rivalries, but it should never get to the point where teams are meeting in the parking lot afterwards. No, this isn't 
and I'm going to, this is going to be a deep cut for like three people that listen to this podcast. This is in Highview Middle School basketball where I would spend the entire game antagonizing one of the opposing players. And then we'd all meet in the parking lot afterwards for a brawl. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was a good basketball player, but I was a, I was dirty. Like I would do, I, I threw elbows. I would stand on people's feet when. Were you a power uh, forward? I was, I was, I was, I, that's exactly what I was. And I was, I was, you know, I couldn't dribble to save my life, but I was good under, like I was Dennis Rodman. I would there score, you know, a handful of points, mostly get rebounds. And I'd use, cause as you are well aware, I got a smart mouth on me. You, you see, you, you've heard me talk. You've seen me interact with people. You know, I can be, you, you see me online. Like what you see is what you get. Like I'm a, I'm an, I'm an asshole essentially. And I used to use that when I was, you know, if I'm if I'm not as talented as someone, I'm going to find a way to get in their head. That was that was what I was taught, and that was what I did. But this is not children, you know, hormonal thirteen year olds. Right. These are grown ass men. And while I'm with you on, I don't know what I would do in this situation. At the same time, these guys get paid to hit each other, so why not try to get back at him? if he's if he's talking junk to you? And let's not kid ourselves. There is a ton of trash talk talked most games and it's usually yeah. not something you would ever say in polite company you know what i mean like no it's not pc on the field like not, <laughs> they're not worried about what they're saying like this is this is how it is in professional sports sports yep. and you know i don't think it's ever going to change unless every single player is mic'd up and we're just like you know listening to everything they say if they say anything non-pc then they're fine but i don't i don't want to get to that point i think trash talk is fun i do um, but obviously there's a line Yes, there's definitely a line, but I don't think there's ever anything because again, like I said, like they get paid to hit each other in a game. You couldn't have found like if it was that bad, he like he waited until after the game to take a shot. Like you would have thought that if he would have said something that was so out of bounds, the lucky whitehead that is to Cam Judge, that Judge would have found a way to to give him a tourist hit. Even if you get that fifteen yard penalty, yeah. you go to the sidelines and be like, Man, he said something about this or he said something about that. And your coach probably gonna be like, Hey, smarten up, Nas, like Put your head, get your head in the game. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like we've, I've seen it. Like I remember it was the New York Giants and the Carolina Panthers and Josh Norman was a cornerback for the Panthers and Odell Beckham Jr. was still playing for the Giants. And they had some back and forth in the media. And then during the game, they just started taking shots at each other. Like Odell went in for a block and went helmet first to like, kind of to like, they did not like each other and they got into it. I think Odell was suspended for a game. Josh Norman might've been suspended for a game. There were a ton of penalties, but they settled it on the field. And then I don't think there was ever an incident between the two afterwards. Same sort of thing. Like at some point, like why not? Like you're letting playing them next week too, right? You have the opportunity. Get him then. You're going to have a chance to take him out. The idea that he, Oh, well they said, he said something so nefarious that I had to go punch him after the game. That doesn't fly with me because that, that doesn't, to me, that's not heat of the moment stuff. When you're when you're trash talking on the field, and if it bothers you that much, you're gonna find a way to get at that guy at the moment. Like if I said something to you right now, like something, and we're friends, but let's say we're antagonists, and I said something to you that you found totally disrespectful, and then in a month's time we saw each other, and you cold cock me, but we've spoken or we've been, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we've, like I was in your it's face and I said to cool something. Down. Yeah, like you had you've had a chance to like let it go, but you. I don't just don't buy the excuse that it was whatever he said, if it was that bad, you would have done it. You would have taken it out at the time. You wouldn't have waited. Who knows how? Because I don't know when the comment was said that tick judge off, but you wouldn't have waited potentially two, two hours, an hour, 45 minutes to, to get your to exact your revenge. Yeah. It just doesn't it doesn't and make it's any just sense. like he 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 put himself in a bad situation because. Uh, 
Whitehead could have charged him. Yep. Like he could have. He could have charged him with assault, but he's not going to. But, you know, that could, you know, that mess up your life pretty bad. And, you know, he he's suspended for a game. He could have been in this game, but a very important game against the BC Lions. It just seems like it wasn't thought through uh, very well by uh, Judge. No. And like at the end of the day, like I understand human emotions and I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that Cam Judge is a is a garbage person because this happened, but I think shit, shit happens on a football field. I'm not going to. Yeah, you, think, I mean, think, you should be used to that, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been playing football his whole life, apparently. Like, it's different if some guy comes into my work and is like, "Ah, oh, your mom's a bitch, Mike." Like, it's <laughs> a little different. Like, yeah, I'm not used to that, but not that it's a good thing. But yeah, I get no. I get what you're saying. It's just never good, especially if it's not in the heat of the moment. You have time to think about it. And come back and sucker punch some guy. It's just not a good look. For sure, for sure. All right, let's move on to our last bit of uh, topic today. It's this Friday night's matchup between the 4-9 and nine Hamilton Tiger Cats playing what is perhaps their biggest game of the season. They head to Montreal to take on the 5-7 and seven Montreal Alouettes. The Owls are two points up in the standings and have a game in hand. And the two teams split their previous two matchups this season with both teams winning at home. A win by the Owls would likely relegate Hamilton to finishing no better than third in the East, although you never know what could happen, but I feel comfortable saying that. While a win by Hamilton would put them into a points tie with Montreal, in terms they have the same amount of wins, same amount of points, but obviously the Owls would have that one game in hand. Dane Evans, who is coming off perhaps the best game of his professional career, has played in Montreal twice, and the Ticats have won both of those games. One was a 38-26 win in 2019, and the other was the team's first win of the season in 2021, which was a 27-10 victory in Montreal. Given Evans' performance last week against a much better Winnipeg team, and that's no disrespect meant to Montreal, he was named the CFL's top performer of the week for that. Do you think he and the team can replicate their success from a week ago and steal this win in Montreal on Friday night? I don't think Dan's going to throw for five touchdown passes, but I do think they can get close to what they did. I think they can be very productive against the Montreal Oets on offense. I think if Dane is over the hump, um, you know, with struggling like he had in the past three or four games, uh, I think we're golden. I think that they can march into Montreal and take this win. Uh, it also depends on how Trevor Harris is feeling that day because, mm-hmm. you know, the good and the bad of Trevor Harris, he can be atrocious and he can be really, really, really good. So I think it all depends on uh, how Harris plays too because I don't think they're going to have much of a run game against this defense, and uh, I think it's going to be all on him offense- offensively. The last time they went into Montreal was a one-point loss, and Matthew Schultz was the quarterback. And I know at that time we were all big enough Matthew Schultz, and I, I think with with due reason – he, he had looked like the best quarterback on the roster. But after we saw what Dane did, and I'm with you, he doesn't have to go out there and throw for 325 and five TDs. If he doesn't turn the ball over, I think this team will win. Or if, if the, and if the Ticats can find a way to create turnovers, like if they win the turnover battle, I think that's the biggest key. Like I know it's, it's a cliche to talk about winning the turnover battle wins football games, but it's true. And I think, it, I think the Ticats in the games they've won have won the turnover battle and the games they've lost, they've not. I think it's been that simple. If they limit their turnovers and can force a couple, because we know Trevor Harris is not, he's prone to throwing some picks. He's prone to fumbling the football. If they can get some hits on him and, and make him uncomfortable back there and get him to throw some errant throws and they can get a couple interceptions off of him and, and Dane can limit his own turnovers, I think the Ticats can easily win this one. I, I think they they probably rightly should have won the last one in Montreal. They looked like the better team for most of that game until they decided to completely screw the pooch at the end there. 
I don't, I don't think there's any reason. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think this is going to be, I don't think either team is going to blow the other one out. The Owls coming off a bye, I think is helpful for them. They're probably a little more, obviously a little more rested, but Hamilton's got to be flying high off that win in Winnipeg. So as far as I'm concerned, this is a turnover thing. If, if Evans plays a clean game, whether his numbers are, are super high or just a regular, you know, 270 yard, two touchdown performance, I think that that's, that's the key to success for Hamilton is just not turning the ball over at a ridiculous rate like they were earlier in the season. Yeah, I th- and I think if that offensive line can replicate what they did against the Bombers, which was allow zero sacks against yep. the Bombers, I mean, Dane's going to have time back there. And receivers are going to get open. And, you know, we have some exciting, like, especially this uh, Keandre Smith. I mean, he looks like the next really good Canadian receiver for the Ticats. And, um, he, you know, I think that we've talked about Tim White and Dunbar not necessarily being number one guys, but I think down the stretch here, they can be good enough to win games. So if the offensive line performs, gives Dane time, receivers are going to get open and we're going to score some points. Yeah, that's a good point too. Getting him time to to go through his progressions and not have to force things will help tremendously. And I, I do think that while they lack that number one receiver, I think we can see these, and we saw it against Winnipeg. Everyone kind of got theirs. I think if I recall correctly, no one had more than 60 Five, sixty-six, sixty-seven. No one had over seventy yeah, I think yards. The top in that receiver game. was, I think, two players at sixty-six yards. So yeah, you're right. yeah, and he still threw for almost three hundred and thirty and five scores. Mm-hmm. So he's spreading the ball around. I think what seven or eight guys, maybe nine, caught passes for the team. So and he was going downfield a lot too, which is really yep. good to see because it seemed like he just was reluctant to throw the ball deep, especially in that game against Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's gunslinging all over the place against Winnipeg. So that's his specialty, right? I mean, in 2019, when we, I went to the Edmonton game, uh, Hamilton Edmonton, he was slinging the ball. It was yep. deep ball to Banks, deep ball to Addison. So that helps the offensive line being good. Really, really, really helps this offense because there's a lot of deep plays in this Tommy Condell playbook. Yeah, absolutely. And Montreal can be got there. Montreal's doesn't yep. like, I think Montreal's a good team. I, they're, they're better than I thought they'd be after they fired Kahari Jones, but they're not some world beater. Neither are the Ticats, granted. So no. there's op, there's opportunities there. There's going to be opportunities there. If Hamilton can play a clean game, if if Evans can, even if he gets some pressure, if when there was the you know the handful of times he got some against Winnipeg, he he found a way to escape it and make yeah. plays. I, I don't see any reason why they can't duplicate that against Montreal and go out and get that win, and then then things get really interesting. Because I believe they're on a bye the week after. So it's things are heating up, man. Things are heating up. And and a win on Friday, I think, would really push this team to that in that last four games of the season to really be able to make a move. Yeah, absolutely. If Dane's at his best, his protection, we're a good offensive football yep. team. If not, you know, we're trash. Yeah, and I know we've seen this team go from. I mean, I don't. We've never seen this team this year play as well as they did against Winnipeg. So it's it's unfair no. to say like we've seen them yo-yo. No, we've seen them win and win, not necessarily convincingly, and then come back and have a dud. We've never seen them look as good as they did a week ago. So maybe that was the catapult they needed to get themselves back in, back into their 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 mojo going. You know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see how they come out on Friday night. And uh, who knows if I mean if it's another poor performance and it's a loss, we'll. We won't be so happy going into next week, but if it's a win, I, th- I think you'll see that positivity that you're seeing right now, I think only in- increases. Yeah, I think it's a must win too. I don't care that it's not technically <laughs> a must win. 
It's a must win. It's I won't say must because I, I refuse to use must win in a game that's <laughs> okay. not eliminated. No, However, actually, I will say this is an extremely important one to win yeah. because this gets you the season series on Montreal. This 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 what the, what a win on Friday would give you is an opportunity to not even worry about the riders. It gives you an opportunity to get to second place and you get to second place no matter what your record is. You make the playoffs. So that's why I think this game, while not a must win, it, it's a, I think it's a must win if they want to get second place. I don't think it's a must win if they want to make the playoffs because I think that there's still opportunities there. But I'll, so I'll give you that caveat. I'll say must win, but only if they want to get to second place. So I'll meet you halfway if you're if you're OK with that. That's fair. And maybe we should just close out on this. Um, how sweet would it be? I'm getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself. <laughs> how sweet would it be to march in Toronto on in the East final and beat them again at home? Now, we have a long ways to go before that even is a possibility, but wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't it well, be here, sweet? Here's what I'll say. So when the Argos make the Grey Cup, they win it. They haven't lost the Grey Cup since 1982. If you look at the Argos in the last 20 years, so they won the Cup in 04. Since then, they've won the Cup in 2012 and 2017. You know who wasn't in the playoffs those years? Hamilton Tigercats. Every time since 04, every time the Argos and Tigercats have made the playoffs, a the Argos have not won the Grey Cup, and if they've ever met in the playoffs, Hamilton has beaten them. Hamilton is undefeated go. against the Argos in the playoffs since 2000. 2010 was the last time the Argos beat the Tigers in a playoff game. That was the 2010 East oh, semifinal. Don't even, no, don't, I don't want to. I don't think about that. But they, they they played each other in 2013. Hamilton won. 2015. Hamilton won. 20 and then 2021. So they played three playoff games since then. Hamilton's won all three. So if the Tigers are in the playoffs, the Argos don't win a cup, and more often than not, the Tigers win the game. So if the Tigers sneak in, the Argos ain't winning shit. So let, let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, that was Pod's Computer for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.